0: Hello and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. So, hey, our scripture reading for today, if you want to follow along, comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. In verse 1, it starts out saying, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for what, only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Uh,
1: I got word during that that um, if you want to go ahead and give to Must Have Gifts, it's already live. We surprise, that's our early Christmas present to you. We're going to start a week early. Also, Johnny said we didn't almost double; we more than doubled what we asked for last year. So, <laughs> I think we're doubling what we brought in last year. So, okay, uh, I want to pray for us. Then let's let's jump in. Oh, Father, I thank you for this room. We we're praying this morning that um, uh, that we would feel your goodness in this room. So I just ask for that. I I it's I already do uh, feel your goodness here, and I just pray that. Um, you would continue to wake us up uh, to that goodness and that presence. Um, I pray in the next few minutes that you would um, wake us up to things inside us that you may um, want to spotlight or shift or adjust or nudge or celebrate or encourage or empower, whatever it is that you want to do in us. Um, I just pray that we would have um, the the courage to have, um, I don't know, posture to receive a posture to welcome a posture to experience you uh, we love you in your name we pray amen uh, so uh, just in time for advent we are going to finish our series that we've been in on and off all year long on emotionally healthy spirituality um, if you've missed any of those, I think they're all on the podcast from this fall and last spring and all that. Um, but but all year we've been working on this, uh, this thesis statement uh, that our spiritual health cannot outpace our emotional health, uh, meaning that if we want to have a vibrant and flourishing spiritual life, uh, then it's going to require that we do some work toward the vibrancy of our emotional lives as well. And so uh, we've looked at brain science and practice all around this and established that these two things are just interconnected. They're just woven together. They impact each other and inform each other. Um, and so today I want to end things by taking a little bit uh, to just look like w- what it looks like to just kind of uh, be a grown-up uh, essentially. That, that doesn't really have an age as much as what does it look like to look like a grown-up um, uh, emotionally and spiritually healthy person. Um, the truth is it's easier to grow physically into an adult size. Well it's easier for a lot of you to grow physically into an adult size person. I'm still waiting uh, for that growth spurt. But um it is it's a little bit easier to grow physically into an uh, a, an adult side person you, you can do some things you know you can eat your macros and watch your you know eat your veggies and watch your caffeine or or whatever but but really growing physically just happens again for most of you um, but growing into an emotionally and spiritually healthy person I think it takes a lot more intention uh, than just uh, getting taller or growing facial hair or whatever it means to um become an adult-sized person. So um, today, I'm, I'm actually hoping for not getting facial hair. That was not a, a plea for me to keep growing. Um, today, we're going to talk about growing up emotionally and spiritually. So uh, Pete Scazzaro, the author of the books uh, that we've really used um, as, as kind of guidebooks during this series, he makes a very strong statement toward the end of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He says, um, when he's talking about what it looks like to grow up uh, spiritually and emotionally, he says, "Loving well is the essence of true spirituality." Loving well is the essence of true spirituality. Essentially, if we want to grow up emotionally and spiritually, that looks like learning how to love well. Uh, Paul, the writer of our scripture today, in another chapter, he says he like goes very far, an even stronger statement. He says, "Without love, all of the other stuff we do is meaningless." Uh, today in, in our lesson, uh, he calls a life of love the completion of his joy, is seeing the people that he's ministering to growing into a life of love, that that is his true happiness. And so I want to talk uh, today about uh, this life of love in really just two, I think, really, really practical uh, ways. Um, That I think a life of love looks like uh, walking with Jesus and loving our neighbor. That's actually part of our vision statement, that we're joining God in the renewal of all things as we walk with Jesus and love our neighbors. But in order to dive into those two things, I want to teach you a concept from a Jewish-German philosopher uh, to kind of set these two practical things up. The philosopher is named Martin Buber, and he was nominated. He's he's a genius. He was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, I think, seventeen times, like ten for literature and seven for peace. He's just an all around genius. Uh, He didn't win, but like at seventeen times, does winning matter? You know, I don't know. Um, But at the end of World War One, Martin Buber uh, published a book, and the book is called I Thou. Um, and what he says is he says that I, thou is his thesis for his dialogical existence, um, which actually just means the thesis is it's, he wrote a book about why he thinks he exists, why he thinks humanity exists. And it's fascinating. But essentially what he does is he says um, that there are two ways of relating. He breaks down relating, so uh, loving others. He breaks it down to two uh, really just main categories. Um, the first category is called I, It. Um, and essentially, it means um, like, like I, it, uh, meaning that, that one of the ways that we as humans relate to people and things is as a subject to an object, like me to this music stand. I relate to this music stand as an object that holds my notes and the 50 flyers that we put on your chair. Um, the band relates to the music stand as something to hold uh, their songs. I, it, is a transactional utility, a uh, functional relationship or interaction. I, it. Uh, and then the other way of relating, that's the first way. His second way, the other way of relating, he calls I, thou. Um, he's German, and so it, um, the thou is actually do, and then when we, um, I just said do, like the most hick I've ever said anything. I don't know. How, I can't speak German. Anyway, um, the way that it got translated into English was "thou" because the translators wanted to find a word that was bigger than you. Um, but I think sometimes to us, "thou" sounds like uh, King James or something like that, and we're like, but essentially, what he's saying is "I you," um, meaning you the way a lover would say "you" to their lover, a mother would say "you" to the face of her baby. That's what he's talking about. I thou, I. You. This is the relation not of subject to object, but of subject to subject, uh, essence to essence. I, thou, it is deeper than I, it is, it is a lived and alive uh, 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 interaction. It's not a transaction, but a holistic experience between two subjects. Um, this might, this might be a, a, a better way to explain the difference. Um, have any of y'all been on a cruise recently? Well, probably not recently. Uh, <laughs> have you ever been on a cruise, anybody? Okay. Um, something happened to me the first time I went on a cruise. Um, it's this. Okay, so for my entire life, the ocean had been this thing, something I really liked. The ocean had been this thing to enjoy. It's beautiful and flowing and full of shells and fish and it holds hundreds of thousands of species in it. And And it's a calming presence in the morning with just your feet in it. And it's an adventure in the afternoon when the waves are coming in. and And the ocean, it's a crucial part of earth. The ocean is a massive heat reservoir. It's impacts weather and carbon cycles and all kinds of things. Um, It's something that we use to transport people and goods from country um, to country. The the ocean has always been these things uh, in my life, but... My relationship to the ocean changed uh, the first time I went on a cruise. I, I woke up that first morning, and um, I, I don't want to spoil this for you, but I'm gonna. If you've never been on one, um, I woke up the first morning and I went back as far as I could to the very uh, back of the boat. And um, and when I got on the edge, I put my hands on the rails, and and what I saw like was the most breathtaking thing in the entire world. It's just ocean everywhere, and nothing else. I'm You know what? We don't ever see things like this. There are no buildings. There's no land. There's no other people. There's no boats. Nothing. It's just like the wide expanse of the ocean. And so I ran around the whole boat. And it was true everywhere. At the front, on the sides, everywhere. It it is ocean everywhere. And this... One experience shifted uh, my relationship on the ocean in the moment because the ocean transformed um, from something I could appreciate for its beauty and adventure and you know logistical offerings to my life and scientific contribution to the world into something that I don't even know how to say it something wild something alive something uh, to experience uh, th- The best way I know to describe what happened with me in the ocean is that the ocean went from like an it to something that I was part of, something I was experiencing, something I was present for, something so holy and so sacred. Uh, That morning on the cruise, uh, the ocean, it didn't stop being beautiful. It didn't stop being calming or adventurous. It didn't stop being a heat reservoir for earth. it, It didn't stop being a home for thousands and thousands of species. All of those parts, all of those things were true and it was this whole other thing. It was like all those things were true, but then my position toward the ocean shifted, and it became more of an experience than a thing, if this makes any sense. Uh, the ocean in that moment was like a compil- compilation of everything it had been for my entire life, and at the same moment, I felt like I was seeing it for the very first time. You know the scene in Titanic when the girl like stands with her, her arms out and the boy holds her waist? Um, like, like, I kind of did it. I mean, I did do it. I stood at the, ba- at the back of this boat, <laughs> and I held out my arms as wide as I could, near, far, wherever. It's like, I think it's the cheesiest scene, but I was like, I just want to be part of the ocean. And it was this like, I don't know, it was like for a moment I felt like I left the world behind, and I was experiencing the ocean. And then the world quickly came back to me when I was joined by some strangers who pointed and giggled very loudly. And uh, I don't know, the world came back, but... Suddenly the ocean shifted from an experience back to an it uh, in just a moment because I got embarrassed. Um, Martin Buber, he says that in relating our, uh, our most emotionally and spiritually healthy way to show up is to learn how to find that experience, how to find the I-thou when we're in relationship with others. The I-thou, the I-you, it holds space for someone uh, to be all of the things they are and Something sacred, something divine, something holy. And and when I think about uh, what it looks like to grow up in a life of love, um, I, I want to talk about how we walk with Jesus and love our neighbors from a place of I-thou rather than a place of I-it. Because uh, living a life of love means learning how to practice the presence of God as an I-thou and how to practice the presence of people as I-thous. Um, So I just want to spend just a few minutes talking about how these two uh, practices play out. Uh, The first one, uh, growing into an emotionally healthy spiritual person means learning the art of practicing the presence of God. Uh, In our text today, Paul tells us in those first few verses what it looks like to show up in the world as a grown-up follower of Jesus. Loving each other, getting along, humility, all of these things. And then in verse 5, he tells us how we do it. How do we do it? He says uh, that we do it by learning to have the same attitude as Jesus, or another translation, to have the same mind as Christ Jesus. How do we do that? How do we have the same mind as Christ? Uh, We learn how to practice his presence. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, quoting him again, he says he calls practicing the presence of God, uh, he calls it stopping to breathe the air of eternity. I love that phrase. I want to do that. I want to breathe the air of eternity. Uh, But if I'm really honest with you, most of my life, uh, walking with Jesus or spending time with Jesus, it's been a lot less like stopping and breathing the air of eternity and a whole lot more like uh, showing up and giving a little in order to get a little. Uh, More often than I want to admit, my relationship with God has been and continues to be very transactional. Something I do, uh, if I'm like really, really honest in my subconscious, something I do to earn something or often something I do to make up for something uh, that I did. In terms of the relationships that we've been talking about today, I have spent a whole lot of my life relating to God as an it, as a transaction, a utility, piecing him out into the things I need him to be rather than experiencing him as the whole of who he is. And here's the thing. God, by his nature, cannot be an it. He can't. It it, it doesn't exist with him. He He can only be a thou. He can only be a you. He is the God of perfect community and experience, the holder of all things sacred and all things alive. He does not and he cannot relate as an it for us. It goes against the nature of God. And... Uh, or he, sorry, he cannot be an object because he is the subject. Always. He cannot be pieced out because he is the wholeness of the world. And also, in a very hard to believe turn of events, he also doesn't see us as it either. Because part of his nature was to bring us in. And so he removed that part of our nature as well. God's invitation to us, it is relational, it is experiential. He is not our object, and we are not his object. We have, through the cross of Jesus, become his subject. We have taken on his essence. And so I wonder if so many of us, I'm just going to put you in category with me so I don't, I'm not alone. So many of us are disappointed in our um, personal paths of following Jesus because things like quiet times or prayer times or Sunday Sabbath, uh, it, I wonder if it's because we've been trying to fit a thou into an it. Or that we've uh, yet to show up believing that God sees us as something other than an object, but that he sees us as uh, a thou. Does this kind of make sense? Anyone else? I'm not alone? Okay. Thank you to the three nods. Uh, Living a life of love means learning how to daily practice the presence of God as he is and as he sees us. Not as subject to object or object to subject, but you, thou, I, thou, I, you. And so I want to tell you two really practical practices that have changed this experience of relating to God uh, in a daily way for me. The first is delight and the second is rhythm. Uh, Okay, first, delight. Last February, I showed up uh, in my counselor's office, and I I just saw this note, and it makes me giggle. I said, "I showed up in my counselor's office looking like a piece of burnt toast." (laughs) I don't know what that means, but it's the only way I can describe it. I just want—whatever you think of burnt toast—I was just like, "I'm, I'm just like toast." Like, I am not okay. I'm not doing well. Uh, Anyway, just burnt toast. And after a while, we're kind of talking through these things. And after a while, she, like, writes this piece of paper, and she hands it to me, and she says, this is your prescription. I'm like, okay. And it had two words on it. And the two words were solitude and delight. She said this. She said, if you want to feel alive again, you have to relearn how to Sabbath sabbath it is one of the ten commandments god wrote in for humanity god wrote a rule that we have to rest it's something he wrote for us but the truth is i'm a 21st century american and we forgot how to do that right we forgot how to do it and so if you are in your life or your practice of following jesus uh feeling a bit like burnt toast then consider this your prescription i'll write it down for you after if you need me to um to learn how, or in my case, relearn how to rest. Here's the truth. When I showed up in the office that day, what I knew was I had never rested in my life as a 39-year-old, full-time working mother of three, two of whom had just become teenagers. <laughs> I'd never done that before. That was brand, it's a brand new season. I didn't know how to do it, and so I needed this prescription. Um, I needed to add delight and solitude into my Sabbath. Those were, those were my prescription items. Yours may be different. Um, rest isn't optional in relating to God, but how we do it is. That's the beautiful thing about I, thou is you get to be a person, and so you get to choose what works for you. We rest differently um, from each other. And then we also rest differently in different seasons of our life because we are not objects. I am not an it. I am a me. And so I have to learn how to rest as a me. For exa- example, Daniel rests Beth. His best Sabbath um, includes his feet being in a river, any river. Um, My best rest includes my feet being in a New York City, any New York City. No, just the one New York City. We rest very, very differently. Part of the fun of following Jesus is learning how to practice rest and Sabbath as yourself. Okay, second game changer for me in learning how to relate to Jesus on a daily basis as a you instead of an it uh, is rhythm. Rhythm. Um, A few years ago, I stopped having a quiet time. If you didn't grow up in the church, a quiet time is just a time when you're supposed to read your Bible and pray. And I stopped having one. Aren't you excited your preacher just said this? You're like, finally, someone told me I don't have to anymore. We're going deeper. okay? So I stopped having one uh, because it stopped working. Anyone else, it just wasn't working. I was honestly, most of the time, spending time with Jesus because uh, I felt guilty not doing it or because I wanted or needed something from God and I felt like this was part of the deal uh, with him. And so I just quit. And it was during this time that I found something called the daily office or the divine uh, office. The, the daily office, the divine office, it's an ancient rhythm of practicing the presence of God uh, throughout an entire day, not just for like 15 minutes in the morning. Uh, we see it in the scriptures. In Psalm 119, we see that David prayed seven specific times a day. In Daniel 6, Daniel had a rhythm of three specific times of day. Uh, people do it in all sorts of ways. For the Trappist monks, they keep the seven times a day. Uh, for me, it's three. Uh, when I practice the presence of Jesus well, I show up three times a day. For me, it's the morning, the afternoon, and at night. Everyone's different. You may be, you may be one, seven times a day. I don't know. Uh, but here's the beauty. Just like rest, you get to pick it. You get to pick how you spend time with Jesus. You get to pick uh, how you do it. Uh, the thing about rhythm is that you get to find out what yours is. How often and where and how long. These are your choice. I read the scriptures and pray every day, but I also practice the presence of Jesus by sitting in silence. Some of you know this. I set a two-minute timer because that's as long as I can go. Um, I practice the presence of Jesus walking. I try to walk in my neighborhood as many days as possible. Instead of doing something just to do it, I do something with rhythm uh, that feels like me and also stretches me. For me, rhythm has been a huge difference. It turned uh, spending time with Jesus from a checklist into a delight. And I have found that when I'm in rhythm, I'm far less manipulative. For me, it has meant learning how to show up for the experience of God, not just the transaction because I want something or need something. How many times you show up and you open your Bible and you're like, I just need to hear something, and then nothing happens and you think it's a waste. Rhythm shifted me into experience from transaction. So I know I have two resources for this. Um, one is a book called The Daily Office by Pete Scazzaro. You can get it on Amazon. If you can't afford it, I will buy it for you. I love it so much. Don't skip the intro. The intro teaches you how to do this. This is the book that taught me how to do it, The Daily Office by Pete Scazzaro. The second um, uh, resource I have is, is an app called Lectio365. Lectio 365 it is twice a day two rhythms morning and evening and you can read every day or you can listen and most of the time they have a British accent so it sounds awesome sorry David Stokes oh no he's not here um it's a British accent reading prayers to you it's like amazing so okay those those were for free Okay, so part of learning to live a life of love is learning to practice the presence of Jesus as ourselves with him getting to be him as himself. And the second part of learning to live a life of love is is learning how to practice the presence of people. Uh, Dr. King called it the inescapable network of mutuality. I love that. We practice the presence of people because we exist in an inescapable network of mutuality. Uh, Paul tells us in our text today that the mark of practicing the presence of Jesus is learning how to experience each other. He says, Is there any encouragement from belonging in Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship in the Spirit, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. I think Paul here is touching on the I-thou of Martin Buber uh, that he talked about centuries later. Uh, practicing the presence of people means learning how to experience others as thou's versus its. Uh, it's sharing space with people as ourselves rather than just and themselves rather than just simply transactional interaction it means showing up in relationship and experience with someone else acknowledging that I have been made in the image of God and that I exist within god's kingdom where I have been invited to create and participate at every single level that I exist in this in this sacred place and so do you and so do you and so Does everyone, I thou or I you, it requires an acknowledgement that everyone alive has been created in God's image. And that everyone alive has access to that same invitation into kingdom and into creating and into uh, community, God's kingdom that is living and active in the world. And so uh, learning to show up with this acknowledgement, it does something. It does something in our interactions with people. It starts to make room for honor and dignity for anyone who finds themselves in my orbit. I and thou ask me to honor the human and the divine and the sacred and everyone. It means making room for all of the things that make up who someone is. And then seeing them as a sacred subject, not as a transactional object. And so when I do this, when I see people properly, uh, it means uh, that they can't be a means to an end or something I bow down to. When we see people as I, thou, uh, it, it means that we put people into their proper place. We don't put them too high, and we don't put them too low. When I share sacred space with someone, I cannot dehumanize them by seeing them as lower than me. And when I share sacred space with someone, I cannot objectify them by placing them on a pedestal that's too high for anyone to ever be able to bear. Relating as I thou, it makes room for a unique and separate existence for every single person. And when I practice the presence of people this way, then you get to be you in sacred space and I get to be me in sacred space and we can be different, but I can still honor you and respect you and love you without devaluing you and without worshiping you. And I get to do all of those things without devaluing myself or worshiping myself. And that sounds like a holy and beautiful way to live, right? As if people have value. But if I'm honest, as beautiful as practicing people as thou sound, I spend an embarrassing amount of time uh, turning people into its, turning people into subjects rather than objects. Uh, Martin Buber, he, he argues that m- in most of our relationships, we've been kind of blinded blinded as if we've lost sight of people as unique and sacred and separate from us. And we live out of this blind spot constantly. We all do. Here's a few ways. On Friday nights and Saturday nights, we can worship and dehumanize an athlete in like 10 seconds, right? They can be the best thing we've ever seen, and they do something wrong, and they're worthless, right? Here's another way. Um, When I am confronted with someone else's politics or a belief system that is different than my own uh, or a life experience that's different than my own, I don't always feel curious. I often feel threatened, I feel threatened by your politics. I feel threatened by your life experience. I feel threatened by your belief system. Uh, Also, uh, this is the worst for me. We constantly evaluate people by what they have to offer us. I realized this week, I can size up someone's use or value to me almost as fast as I can get their name. We do this a lot. Peace Cazaro says that we start to treat people in our life like a toothbrush or a car. Something for a specific use as a means to an end. I say this a lot around here, but I think one of the most fascinating things about Jesus is that he is always uh, setting people free to be more human. Always. He took a demon-possessed man that Josh talked about last week, and he turned him into a missionary. He called a guy down out of a tree, and he set him free from the power of politics to just get to be a guy again. He took dead people, a little girl, and, and his friend Lazarus, and he literally blew humanity back into their lungs. When people couldn't walk, he made their legs work. When they couldn't see, he made their eyes work. When they couldn't speak, he made their tongues work. When people experienced Jesus, they walked away or ran away uh, more human and more free. And this is what Jesus offers us as we practice his presence. But it's also the thing he asks us to give back to the world. Not as an object, but as a subject, a life of love means learning how to practice the presence of God and the presence of people with congruence. They inform each other. They flow into each other, and in many ways they require each other. It means taking the humanity God restores in us and finding a way to bring that restoration, that renewal of all things into the lives of people everywhere. So uh, I think Evie's going to come back up or whoever in the band. and I just, let's, We're going to take a minute here. Um, and I just, I, I, I want to respond to what the Spirit's doing in us and in and, and this room. Um, I think for some of us, the Holy Spirit maybe is nudging you uh, to more frequently and intentionally practice the presence of God. And maybe to get creative about what that looks like for you, get curious about what that might look like uh, for you. Uh, for others, it may be to be more intentional in our practice of, of practicing the presence of people as humans rather than objects. Uh, but you know what, honestly, I think for a lot of us, it's both. All of us, really, it's, it's both. So I just feel like the Spirit is just sort of nudging us as people of God to look at our lives with a curiosity. How do these things play out? Um, I wrote down some questions. Here are some questions to consider, and then I'll get off and we'll be quiet for a little while. One, um, am I practicing the presence of Jesus, and is that informing and empowering how I practice the presence of people? Another question. And you don't have to answer all these. One of these just might stick. Uh, Another question. Does the gentleness that I experience from God's presence translate into a gentleness with the charter or spectrum internet guy? (laughs) Not for me. Does the hospitality that I see in Jesus and experience in my own welcome in him that has nothing to do with what I do, does that hospitality get spread to other people? Am I making tables wider or longer? Or am I putting up walls based on what people do or don't do or can or can't do for me? Another one, where is Jesus setting me free to be more human and then asking me to turn around and offer that same gift of getting to be a person to somebody else? And finally, where am I relating to people as objects or transactions? And where am I relating to God as an object or transaction? Let's pray and we'll just sit quiet. That was a lot of questions. I hope one, one or two may be stuck. So, Father, I pray that in this moment, um, that Your Spirit would come. We believe Your Spirit is here. I pray that as we wake up to Your presence in this room, uh, we would wake up to the ways that You are inviting us into a greater freedom and making us more human. Where is it in our lives that uh, we can't walk and so you want to make our legs work or we can't see and you want to make our eyes work and can't speak and you want to make our tongues work. Where are you trying to make us more human? And then I ask that you would give us the courage to consider uh, how we're showing up in the world uh, with that in mind for others? Where are we treating you as a transaction? and where are we treating the people around us as a transaction? Where we treat our families, as transactional things? Where do we treat our friends as its? And so with Thanksgiving looming, I pray that you would work in us and then that you would work through us. And I would pray, Amen.